It's time to hit the trail as we present your monthly dose of travel, tourism, wine and dine. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host, Renz Veers. And welcome to this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. We will give you the rundown on what's uh, happening on the show today. First up, we'll have Jeff Harrison visiting the Establishment Hotel in Sydney. Uh, he'll be chatting with one of the executives at that particular establishment. Then we'll uh, take a grab from uh, one of our associate programs, Travel Writers Radio. Veronica Matheson uh, will be chatting with uh, a well-known personality, Australian TV chef, Jeff Jans. David Gordon, the host of Travel Bites Radio in Northern Ireland, takes us to Belfast City Hall. And then we'll have Peter Noon, one of the original Hermits. Hermits, actually, he used to be the lead singer, remember, back in the 1960s? And uh, Peter, who is uh, an occasional co-host on our associated show in California, Around the World Radio, will be taking listeners on a trip to New York, New York. And, uh, well, Jeff Harrison will return later in the show. Uh, the fifth seg- uh, segment on the program will feature Jeff um, f- reporting from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where he uh, chats with the co-owner of a new uh, tour company, LizzieKnows.com. And to finish off the program, uh, Travel Riders Radio uh, host Graham Kemlo chats with uh, one of his regular contributors, Maury O'Connor, who has returned recently from an outback Queensland trip. So that's all happening on this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. Let's get started with Jeff Harrison. This week my guest is Steve Carodis, and he's the General Manager Accommodation at the Establishment Hotel in Sydney. And uh, Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, Steve... uh, your hotel is right in the middle of uh, Sydney, and you have a lot of places that people can see and do, places to go here in the hotel complex. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, we do. We have 31 rooms here in uh, the establishment hotel, and all of our guests have access to a number of uh, restaurants and bars within uh, within the building. So we have um, a very famous restaurant uh, right next door to us called Mr Wong, uh, an amazing uh, Cantonese restaurant, so our guests have direct uh, direct access to that. We also have uh, Est, which is a fine dining restaurant, uh, with the head chef in there, Peter Doyle, executive chef. Uh, we have a lounge bar called Hemisphere and a sushi restaurant called Sushi Yu. And then below us, we have a, um, a prohibition-style uh, whiskey, um, a sort of a come cocktail bar um, underground. So yeah, I guess that's in the hotel. We've got um, a whole whole plethora of, uh, of options for them when they come in. And it's very famous, uh, the establishment is very famous on Thursday and Friday nights here in Sydney, isn't it? It's a great gathering place for Sydney's uh, party crowd and and the inn people in Sydney. Yeah, it very much is. We've got um, our main bar on the... Uh, on Neville, on the ground floor, as you come in off George Street, the establishment bar is very famous in Sydney. Um, it's been been here for for 15 years. Yes, establishment has uh, been around for for a long time. Establishment has been around for a long time, and the hotel has been here for 15 years, and and the design of it has held up and incredibly well for for that time. Now it's a very central location here in Sydney. Um, how can uh, uh, Bridge Lane, Sydney? How can people get here if they're travelling around Australia, or you know they lob in Sydney? It's very easy to get to. 
Yeah, the hotel really uh, well located. Um, just a few minutes walk from uh, Circular Quay, where all the ferries come into. Um, so right in the heart of downtown. Taxi ride is uh, less than 30 minutes uh, from Sydney Airport. Uh, and we've got a, a, a train station just across the road from us as well, or a few minutes walk, circular key uh, train as well. So, And they all with direct links out to the airport. So location-wise, absolutely unbeatable. Um, and we've got a, a short walk down to the Opera House um, and out to the Botanical Gardens. It's just up the top of the hill. So, yeah, you really couldn't have a better location than what we have here. And as far as the rooms go uh, in the hotel, do they have different themes or different styles or anything like that? Uh, there's a, a very uh, classic style that goes throughout the hotel. Um, the hotel originally opened in 2000 and uh, certainly is a, 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 um, a very well-designed um, uh, property with incredible um, quality that was built into the property at the start. Um, we have uh, four floors and they're um, themed, I guess, uh, if that's the right word to use, dark and light. So the first two floors are a darker theme, so exposed beam ceilings and um, uh, hardwood floors. And then the upper two floors have got a, a, a carpet and um, a sort of a lighter theme through them. So, um, yeah, both incredible. Um, and we find a lot of the guests, we have a lot of return guests that come into the hotel, So and they sort of pick and choose whether they like the dark or the light. So, yeah, it's a great little property and a good find. We're tucked away. Um, people people do love it when they come and stay. And I noticed in the fabulous establishment that uh, it's a really neoclassical, and it has a like a... Um, a 40 metre marble bar in there which is really amazing isn't it? Yeah we're really lucky with the bar that we have up there, I'm um, talking about it earlier on it's a, a very very popular venue for, for Sydney ciders to, you know Sydney CBD ciders to come in and, and drink um, through from lunch through the afternoon into the evenings and, and have a really good time we do uh, salsa evening throughout the week and Thursday and Fridays are really busy but um, the bar there is, um, it is quite the sight to come and see, um, it's a long long bar as you say, 40 metre marble bar and um, yeah, not many you see around at all. And Steve, how can people find out more about the Establishment Hotel online? Uh, best to go straight to our website. Uh, we're part of the Miravale Group, so the website for them is uh, www.miravale.com.au or definitely give us a phone call um, direct. And our phone number here in Sydney is 02 Steve Caradis, the General Manager Accommodation of the Establishment Hotel in Sydney. Thank you very much for being our guest on the program this week. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you. This is Travel Radio Australia. Hello, Jeff. It's lovely to talk to you. And you, uh, Veronica. Mm, I always think of Sri Lanka as being easy India, but oh. I'm sure you'll dispute that. Well, it's interesting, you know. I mean, does anybody like to be described in terms of someone else? That's, that's the leading question. It's a bit like, I suppose, Scotland being referred to as Easy Ireland. I'm, I'm sure they'll have the hackles up. You but, do have a point. <laughs> yes. Well, I can, I can easily understand why somebody would think that. And they're quite right to think that too, by the way. If you've never experienced the food of the subcontinent, they're so similar from a distance that it's very hard to explain the difference. Could you tell me what the difference is, is particularly the food? Well, interestingly, no, but I have devised a cunning plan. Tell me. I could tell you certain ingredients, but really they're meaningful. I think you're talking about the use of curry leaves and Maldive fish and the use of softer spices and things along those lines. But as you know, I'm taking a food tour over in October. And the strategy is this. 
In the first few days, we're going to be exposed through cooking classes and tastings to various Sri Lankan cooking, as you can imagine. But on the third or fourth day, after sufficient Sri Lankan eating, I found this amazing Indian chef who wants to sell India. Honestly, he's such an advocate of Indian cooking. He's going to arrange a banquet for us and we are all going to taste and tell for ourselves what the difference is between Indian and Sri Lankan cooking. Oh, what a great idea. That That is a fabulous idea. (laughs) That's the strategy. But look, there are some things, again, it won't mean anything. Now, um, the Sri Lankans tend to do amazing vegetable curries, as do the Indians, but the Sri Lankans will do individual curries. You'll find curries on jackfruit, curries on eggplant, curries on beans, for instance. Whereas the Indian curries, quite often, their vegetable curries are mixtures of curries. Not all the case, but generally there's a mix there. Just the levels of spices produce a different character, a completely different character. So when you taste it, you say, oh, this is definitely Indian, even using the same spices. And as Italian food is different to French food, even if you gave them the same ingredients, you would find that there's an Italian character. And we're very clear about that. It's not in the basil and it's not in the frog legs. It's in their style of cooking, which has evolved and is distinct. Mm-hmm. And when you say the style of cooking, it is sort of, as you say, do you use different pots and pans? And Well, this is interesting because you go back to the traditional cooking, which is of a poor country and very village-oriented. So naturally, there's open fire cooking, there's clay pot vessels and crude um, metallic vessels. And they are the, the cooking of the country. And all of the flavours can be created and are created there. Interestingly, though, as Sri Lanka post-2008 has modernised and welcomed um, the the, the tourist market, let's say, that same Sri Lankan cooking has evolved into being reproduced within kitchens. Now, the commercial kitchens, that is, and tourist destinations, but it's the same cooking. And the chefs that are providing that cooking are wonderful chefs. Many of them have um, cooked in some of the great restaurants of Europe, have all those European skills, but they do their Sri Lankan cooking. And it is so authentic and it is so beautifully executed. And they live it, they believe it. It's in their culture, it's in their blood, and they're very proud of it. So as for utensils, it's the singer, not the song. Yeah, that certainly is the way. But also you're an island, or Sri Lanka is an island, and they've got such you know wonderful fish. Yes. They've got such wonderful, the palm, I mean, the palm sugar. You've yes. got the coconuts. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, the, it's... They feature a lot. You're quite right. In fact, the day, day one will relax when we arrive. Uh, we're, we're going the very next morning off to the fish markets at Nagombo. Now, first of all, we'll go through the dry fish markets, and it's one of those things, Veronica, you either love it or when you first encountered with it, it's quite overpowering. But like French cheeses or the fish sauce of Thailand, it, it is so wonderfully the base of so many wonderful flavors and curries and and dishes so you can easily translate that smell of a washed rind cheese into a pleasant experience and that's the feeling i have when i smell dried fish so we'll go through there and look at all the different fish and the fish that eats well fresh doesn't necessarily eat well dried so that will all be explained and understood and we'll purchase from there and then into the fresh fish markets we'll see an amazing array of seafoods amazing array as you pointed out 
And I've been there once before. We, we filmed there. Jamie Dury and I did a documentary. And it's colourful. The fish is obviously fresh and quite different. And, um, but, yeah, an, an abundance. Mm-hmm. And the food, I mean, obviously, are you going to take this fresh food and are you going to bring it back and maybe at one stage cook for the, for the guests? Yes, definitely. That's the whole point. We're, they, they will experience um, a lot of meals put out and explained, but definitely this is what this is about. Um, you know, God is in the detail. So when you are at home and you read a recipe that says dry fry the spices in a pot, well, then you dry fry the spices in a pot. But... Seeing how it's done there, it was surprising how much they dry fried the, the spices. I thought to the burning point and bitterness would develop, but the selection of spices that were dry spi- uh, fried was the key to it not burning, and it was very interesting to see. So we will take the ingredients, we will cook them in the manner of the Sri Lankan cook and chef, and we'll see the differences that make Sri Lankan cooking, not in the ingredients, but how they're handled. But yes, there'll be plenty of demonstration. And Jeff, how long is it since you've been to Sri Lanka? Look, it's probably 12 years or 10 years, something about that. And again, as I said, we went on a a documentary uh, purpose. Prior to that, I hadn't been back. I was born there and and left Mm -hmm. when I was two. And my experience of Sri Lankan cooking was uh, from my family and extended family. And, you know, Charmaine Solomon, she's, she's an icon of Asian cooking. She's one of our closest family members. And so my mother, Val, and Charmaine would cook lots of meals for us. And so I grew up around Sri Lankan cooking, but hadn't spent much time there at all. Yes, you don't have to be in the country to know the cooking, do you? Especially, as you say, you've got such close relatives who've got such, you know, a great um, understanding of it. Quite right. However, nothing can really put you in in tune with it, like being there. And, um, you know, travel is such an eye-opener. You take what you want from it. You see things that you need to incorporate and it cements your position from which you create your own style. So I've only ever had the style of cooking from my extended family, but now having gone there, I find myself doing things probably from a different perspective now, and so just evolving my style of Sri Lankan cooking, which is what I hope everyone will do. Tell me just a little bit about the um, the food, like there's things that you have to go and have when you go there, like there's the pancake. Now, what do you call that? The hoppers. The hoppers. They're fantastic. Can I tell you one overarching thing first? Do you know, my daughter, I travelled with her a month or so ago. She's a vegan. And do you know, Veronica, I found myself in the first three or four days eating predominantly healthy vegetable curries. I didn't notice the, the smaller proportions of proteins, animal proteins, whether it's fish or beef or whatever. I didn't notice it. Mm-hmm. And the food was quite amazingly you know, interesting. It was broad. It was a huge range of, of options. And I didn't notice. No. So number one, there's a lot of vegetable cooking, which is, which is just terrific. And they are not all the same. They're so different, these curries. So that was, that was big for me. And the, the hoppers, as you mentioned, yes, they're a yeasted batter. And every family will claim the secret of the perfect hopper. But they should be made um, with, a, with a naturally formed yeast. So you put a flour mixture together and overnight the yeast forms and develops. And then it should be thin and crisp. It's in a circular, semicircular pan and cooked over high heat. 
And what happens is the edges, as the gravity draws the, 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 the dough into the centre of the pan, the edges are crispy and lace-like. So it's quite an art to have the balance between crispiness and the centre. And they're beautiful. We've grown up with those and they're a must. Uh, the other one is a string hopper, which is exactly that. It's, it's, a, it's a rice dough, which is squeezed out through some sort of squeezing device and it has this lattice work and it's steamed. And again, it's, it's like a steamed pancake, um, which is like noodles, really. And that's another base. And there's another one called pitu, which is uh, a coconutty uh, based rice, which is steamed in bamboo um, containers, sticks of bamboo actually. So those carbohydrate options are all rather interesting and diverse, not to mention the 20 or so different forms of rice, different you know, varieties of rice. So that side of it is really, really quite uh, interesting. And they're all different bases from which different curries um, are laid upon. Yes, I mean, yum. <laughs> it's, it's a feast. <laughs> yes. It really is. Now, they're very lucky, the, the, the guests that are going with you and that you're hosting. Um, who are you going with? I'm going with Abercrombie and Kent. Um, I was approached by them probably a, a year or two ago, two years ago, and our first trip was to Morocco. And I, I go there first and discover the, the food and, um, and speak to the people who know what they're doing and put together the occasions and the tastings and the whole journey is a program in my mind of walking away from Sri Lanka and owning the concepts and the ideas that that drive the cooking so with Abercrombie and Kent are wonderful they've sent me over as a as a you know for reconnaissance to do exactly that I'm very proud of the results so um, yeah so that's who I go with well that makes a lot of sense doesn't it how long are you going to go for it'll be probably 10 days 10 11 days yes. and so it's not too big a chunk out of people's lives it's um, I won't say it's frenetic but there's plenty going on and there's leisure time as well so there's a combination between learning being exposed tasting doing some things yourself but also some time off to breathe the air and see a few sights and will you get to the tea plantations definitely I'm very keen these days you know and growing so that we're, we're aware of the, the conditions, not just for perfectly grown tea, so it's, the, it's environmentally sound, it's rainforest uh, sensitive, but also the conditions for the workers there, um, and that the whole operation is managed in a, in, in a very, very sustainable, ecological way. And so we're going to an estate, Pedro, and we'll really experience a lot there. So we'll, we'll see uh, the, the, the growing, the picking, we'll meet the people who do the picking, we'll learn about their lifestyle and how it's being improved and how the, the, the teas are actually made. So we'll learn a lot there. It's Jeff, Norelia in the high country. Mm. Jeff, it sounds like a wonderful trip. It is. If people want to know more about it, if our listeners want to know more, what do they do? Well, they contact Abercrombie and Kent. So Abercrombie and Kent have their website and their offices, yeah. and uh, through a contact there, they can be sent all the information. And uh, look, the trip, the first, the one and only trip I've done with them is Morocco. Made six very good friends from this from this trip. We have a journey together. We stay in touch, swap recipes. It's it's a really close, wonderful personal experience. I can recommend it. And I guess that the guests who are going on your hosted trip will um, probably do the same when they come home. I hope so because 
Australians are great to travel with. We've got a great sense of um, relaxation about ourselves. We're very inquisitive. We're not stuck in a, a mindset where we can't explore and ex you know experiment. And we have a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a great trip. Terrific. Thank you so much for your time. My and, pleasure. And have a great time there. We will. Thanks, Veronica. <laughs> Good. Bye-bye. This is Travel Radio Australia. There's one building in Belfast that is simply iconic, and that is Belfast City Hall. There's regular tours there, led by a lady called Diane Lehman, and I spoke to her recently about the building. City Hall is certainly a historical building, but it's certainly one of the major tourist attractions in Belfast City Centre. Um, last year, 2012, we recorded slightly over 78,000 visitors through worldwide. Now, it's, uh, it is the centrepiece of Belfast, isn't it? Oh, it is. Um, fortunately, um, where we're located, it is right in the centre spot of the city, and that was the plan when they built uh, the building was built in 1906. Uh, they deliberately secured this particular site for that reason. Um, it means also that visitors tend to stop at City Hall before they head further out in the city. So it's a good catchment area, and that has meant over many years, whilst I've been here looking after the tours of the building, we haven't had to advertise tours at all. People, people know where to go. Um, Whenever people come on a tour, uh, what, what is it they see? I mean, pe people, if they've seen pictures of Belfast City Hall, will know the great big dome. I mean, can you see that from the inside out? Uh, yes, you can come through the main entrance into the fabulous uh, marbled area, up the grand staircase, looking up at the ma main dome, uh, the Whispering Gallery. We have the Luke mural there that was painted in 1951 to show all the industries that Belfast was founded on. Then we go into the council chamber, perhaps one of the most important rooms in the building, because as well as being a historical and a tourist building, it is the home of Belfast City Council. Uh, we go into the chamber and give uh, our visitors an idea of how the council sits there, and we go through the three main function rooms in the building. Now, uh, I'm sure there's some great artefacts around the building here. I mean, we're sitting here, as you say, in the robing room. Uh, with actual, there's actually robes and things up here on the walls. Uh, I take it these are historic significance as well. Mm -hmm. And these are the actual robes. Uh, in the robing room here, we have the Lord Mayor's ceremonial robe, black and gold. The gold's real gold leaf. And the robe itself is insured for around £14,000. Uh, the red and black is the councillors. And then we have the purple black with the fur, which is the high sheriff's robe of the city. You've also got the mace, the city mace, and we have two very valuable silver maces that date back to Charles the first reign, 1637. Small cabinet in this room also houses the uh, civic chains. But as most are worn throughout the week, um, the one that's always on display is the Lord Mayor's old chain, the Donegal chain. So this is all quite ceremonial in a way. Now, the building itself, um, as far as I'm aware, has got sort of twin sisters all around the world, hasn't it? Well, this is a myth. Ah. Very much a myth. It irks me a little at times because so many people hear these myths and believe them. But many years back, actually, I took time out to compare City Hall here with that in Durban in South Africa. And a lot of people in the city will tell you it's an exact copy. It was the same architect, none of which is true. So you've heard it here first, folks. There you go. <laughs> uh, of course, the big thing about it being Belfast City Hall, um, it's something that tourists to the city uh, can do for free. Oh, yes. Uh, we, all of our tours are free, and the reason for that is the money to build City Hall here came from the people of the city. So our councillors feel they can't charge their own people to come into the building. We don't charge any visitors or any tourists. The tour of City Hall lasts approximately one hour. 
lots of opportunity to come through Monday to Friday we have three public tours per day and on a Saturday there are two on a Saturday afternoon and in between all of those slots of public tours we've got private tour bookings um, and those are for groups of people maximum 50 people per private tour Uh, cruise ship days in the city pretty manic here at City Hall I think last year there's something like 48 stops or whatever and of a morning uh, we can put through some 400 passengers through the building on tour so it's very much a place for tourists to come when they come to the city then? Oh yes, and we find more and more, certainly over this last decade, that it really is worldwide visitors. Um, this time, There's different tra- trends, and this time of year we're now looking, there's a lot of Chinese market about the city, um, but we go through, it's also the Australian time to come through. Um, a lot of Australians have links with Belfast family uh, routes, as well as with our American visitors. Of course, if people do come to City Hall, I mean, they're, they're maybe looking for records and things to take it. You can, you can point them in the right direction. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, everyone at uh, reception knows how to point them to the Ulster Museum or certainly to the Prony offices to look at the records there. And if people want to find out more, what, what's the City Hall website? City Hall website is www.belfastcity.gov.uk and on that website you can actually do a virtual tour of the building and it'll give you lots more information on the arts and artefacts inside it as well. The most opinionated traveller in the globe, because you travel more than anyone No, I have an opinion. I'm not opinionated. No, you're not, are you? All right. Well, then, can we find out about New York City? Because you, you went, it was just in New York just last week. Yeah, I go a lot. I've, I actually, you know, I'm working on a project, which is a Broadway show, and I have to go to New York. But I was there doing, I did some concerts where it was just me and Mickey Dolenz. It's called In Conversation With, and Mickey Dolenz, who's one of the monkeys. Yeah. We would sit, we sat in a theatre on two armchairs and we had a discussion and, and it just began. And before we knew what had happened, 90 minutes was gone. It was like uh, the audience was like a fly on the wall as I asked Mickey all the questions it had never been asked, such as, like, how is New York? So, um, <laughs> New Yorkers, I got, you know, I, th- this time I was, I was sort of brought in, somebody paid my airfare mm-hmm. and they put me in a hotel and it was the Waldorf Astoria. Nice. Oh, a hotel. I hadn't been there for a long, long time. And, you know, it's a Hilton chain thing. So yeah. I'm like a diamond, you know, I'm like the top tier of diamond things. But I had to say, you know, I have never, ever been given an upgrade by no, Hilton. Ever. Really? For years and years I've been diamond, you know, but I always get there. I always get the, the room. The closet. Once, yeah. You know, not, you know, the last room You've got the Waldorf and then you've got the Waldorf the, Towers. I was in the Waldorf Towers. Which the is the room upscale was, stuff. was was really... Even my wife liked it. Can you imagine? Uh-huh. My wife goes and she goes, this is our, you know, so the bathroom's a bit small, but, the, 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 but even my wife liked it. It was a bit noisy because it's New York. You're on Park Avenue. You can't help yeah, it. Yeah, you are on Park you're, Avenue. You're right there in the fi- right, But like it was a very good, we ate all our meals in the hotel. We no had kidding. room service breakfast and we ate in Sheen. Yeah, we had, we had an had, afternoon. That was where they had the original Waldorf salad. Really? I think yeah. they'd still got the Waldorf salad, but I wouldn't eat that. So <laughs> I just wanted a pot of tea. Okay. Yeah, so, so, and then we went to Sheen, which is a restaurant, which is, which is very good. And we went to the other one, which is like steak and 
steak and lobster, one of those places where they load you up with Isn't big like bu- food. Bull and Bear or something I like think that? it's called the Bull and Bear. Yeah. You, how would you know Well, that? I lived next door to the Waldorf when I was a kid growing up. Oh, there used to be really? the, the Ambassador Hotel. You what know, happened the, to the coffee shop there? I used to like that coffee shop. Well, I think probably, anyway, the, price the whole up. thing was great. And But New York is extraordinarily expensive. You feel like you're in Moscow now. You know, you really? go, what? You know, even like even to go for a coffee in, you know, a chain place, yeah. it, here it's four seventy. Four dollars seventy cents for what I drink in New York. It's seven dollars and seventy cents. Wow. Like what? So, so I mean, I never noticed stuff like that. But I was, I was, somebody else was paying for it, so I, it, I had to be careful what budget. I spent. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I just didn't want to be, look like obnoxious. You know, people. Yeah. You didn't want to look like a rock star. Exactly. I didn't want to buy golf clubs and sign it to the room, <laughs> which does happen <laughs> with some obvious. rock stars. So, um. So it was an extraordinary experience. New York was very busy, and I, I love the fact it's busy because you want all those places to get busy right now. You know, so send the message that we don't give, we don't care. We're going to stay busy. Right. And uh, it was busy everywhere. So Times Square, millions of people wandering around. Everybody's got shopping bags. Everybody seems to be on a mission, mm-hmm. which uh, which is what excites me about New York. Is everybody is apparently on their way to do something. They're not just wandering around. You know, and it was pretty exciting, you know, because I'd I'd like to, you know, I have that. My nature is that I want everybody to do really well. Right. You know, and and do better. And I love the he's got billions of dollars. Yeah, that makes me happy when people get rich and everything. So in New York, you get this feeling that everybody's on a mission and they, they may live in tiny little apartments, but they're all working kind of. And that's it's exciting to me. So I think New York, just to go and see people who are living their life is is good for me. Did you go to that. any theater while you were there? No, nah, you know, I'm working on a theater project, so I go and look at the buildings, but I was not, at night time, I was working with Mickey Dolenz in little theaters around New York. We did Westbury Little Theater, we did, uh, you know, a university, and mm-hmm. so the night, the three nights I was there, I just would go to work during theater times. There's lots of great, great I like Once and the Jersey Boys and Kinky Boots. Yeah. In fact, I like your Kinky Boots too as well, but you don't got them on today. No, I, I'm just playing with Footsie t- right here. Yeah, you. really, thank uh, you. What about, uh, you didn't eat out at all then? You didn't have any meals? Yeah, we ate in the Sheen, which yeah, is outside, outside of the hotel. Extraordinarily good restaurant, it, nice it, people. And yeah. and people, nice nice waiters and waitresses. Because remember, New York was kind of you'd go to the Palm and they say, "Where you are?" <laughs> and now it was kind of all the people in in the service industry in New York are kind of friendly again, mm. which is you know like the fifties and the sixties. I remember everyone was friendly and nice to each other. And then it went through this bit where people were kind of unkind to each other and everything. It's a good America feels good to me right now. Well, and I also heard that New York has a, a bunch of new hotels that have opened up, and as a result, they've got some eighty thousand more rooms that they've had to fill. So really? it's very competitive right now. Good. Well, the, I think the prices from the, Hil- the Waldorf Astoria were competitive, but They're I didn't bad, pay. No, when no, you I, don't I, pay, you don't care how much I, it costs. I, I've looked online lately, and, and it's been one of the better bargains if you look at Travelocity uh, or yeah. uh, some, of the, some of the other uh, booking I, I, sites. I stay, when I pay there, I stay in some nice little hotels. There's lots of nice little hotels in New York, and you've just got to make sure they're clean. Yeah. I want clean and bathtub. Speaking of clean, Lufthansa. You flew over uh, via Lufthansa from uh, Frankfurt, right? Yeah, you know, it, it seems to, you know, every, all the airlines are getting hammered. I think they're just too busy. I think the flight attendants have been worked hard. Have you noticed that, though, on Lufthansa, when you see the crew, anybody who's ever seen a crew, a Lufthansa crew walking through the airport, they're so proud to be Lufthansa crew. They're, they're all standing all alert. And then you see, like, the United crews, and they're all, like, creeping around. Oh, no, another day. Oh, 
on the job. So, yeah, and the same with American crews, you know. But the Lufthansa, they seem, they're all smart. The uniforms are impeccable. Mm -hmm. But the planes are hammered, you know, like... You saw, we, we had lunch yesterday with Justin, you know, for the guy from Dishwalla, that band. Mm -hmm. and, and he told you he got on the plane and the thing, bits were falling the apart. The headrest went yeah. away. Well, mine was like the footrest, but I don't, I don't tell anybody, I, you know, because what you don't want to do is like, excuse me, this footrest has just fallen off and it's in like six pieces. But if you think, oh, get some mechanic, and you know he's going to make a jobs with that, that he's going to go, oh, the plane can't leave yeah. with the broken foot list. <laughs> so, you know, I, I hit it. I yeah. hit it. <laughs> well, they, they, I guess with his headrest, they, they, they had a broken headrest, so they got a blanket and wrapped it around the top of the chair so he could put his head on that blanket. But it wasn't yeah, exactly I, I'm, I would be nervous seeing him on the, head, on the plane with a blanket around his head. <laughs> <laughs> News and features from around Australia and around the world. This is Travel Radio Australia. We're in Amsterdam and we're here at the Chamber of Commerce building at Amsterdam at a very exclusive opening of Lizzie Knows, which is a great tour company that you can access in Amsterdam to, if you're coming here, you can actually have all sorts of different experiences. And I have the managing partner with me, Jane Mori. Is that right? That's right, yes. Now, Jane, tell us a bit about the company and how it started and what it offers. Yeah, so it started almost two years ago when And and I wanted to do something with our passion. It's traveling and making people happy. So we started off with a scratch-down plan. Yeah, made a business plan. You know how it works with the start of a company. The last two years, what we actually did was searching for the right parties to work with, connecting our network together to find the best experiences to offer for this beautiful city. And, of course, building the website, the platform, the the the, the, the online platform we are worked on the last few months, I think almost a year it's been built. We went live in, in, in January 2016, but we didn't say anyone we were live because we just wanted to show all the people who offer their experiences, we call them hosts, what kind of platform we are. And now we are celebrating our, our real life uh, kickoff of our website. And yeah, what we do is offering the most unique and best experiences of Amsterdam and it's of course it's nice to go to the Rijksmuseum and the Heineken experience and the Lovers boat through the canals but there is so much more about Amsterdam, about its beautiful city than, than that so if you want a, a picnic in the park everything's already there or a, a chocolate dinner, all the crazy funny stuff that you, you're thinking about and we offer we have a a brilliant magical school for kids we have a, a dinner prepared by kids for their parents uh, so we do with kids we do with groups we do uh, persons for, for alone you, yeah you can just imagine the fun unique stuff and we will make the point that it's Lizzie Knows, which L-I-Z-Z-Y-Knows.com, and that's, uh, that's the whole name of it. And now you've got some tremendous uh, partners who are doing tours around Amsterdam that you interface with, and people can come to you as a one-stop shop, isn't it, online? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we have amazing uh, companies who have the most unique and, and authentic tours through the through the canals, historic tours. Uh, of course, the Rijksmuseum is not is, is something you can't miss. But it's even better if you're joining someone who's really telling you about the history of Amsterdam. Uh, so we have a lot of brilliant people, companies, students, all elderly people. You can imagine everyone with a passion. Yeah, that's what we want to work with. And what are some of your favorite things uh, on your list? Because I suppose you've experienced quite a few of these as well. Yeah. Tell me about some of your highlights. I really adore the chocolate dinner. <laughs> Because it's uh, something I really, really love is chocolate. I really adore the, the cooking, the children cooking for their parents because I'm a mom too and I, I, I love to be served by my children because normally it's all the way around. I love the magician school for the kids. It's brilliant. I love the picnic in the park and the photo shoot on, on site. So if wherever you are in Amsterdam, if you have a favorite spot, you can be, you, know, you have a real photo, uh, a professional uh, photo shoot. I, Actually, to be very honest, everything that's on our website is proved by us. And it's not on Lizzie Knows if it's not unique or good enough. So, yeah, everything, all the experiences are, are brilliant and unique. It's, it's, yeah. Well, Jane, congratulations to yourself and Amberi for kicking this off. And at the, at the opening here at the Chamber of Commerce, it's absolutely packed. There's so many people and all the moves and shakers in Amsterdam are here. And you must be very pleased with the turnout. Absolutely proud on this, really, really. We worked so hard for the last almost two years. It's amazing to see that a lot of people really carry our idea and, and, and love the things we do and connecting people together. And this is what it's all about, connecting people and making people happy and, and, and turn smiles on their faces. And, and all these people are, are here now to encourage our idea and our passion as well. So, yeah, we are in tremendous proud on, on this moment. Yeah. So if people are coming to Amsterdam, all they have to do is uh, go to your website. Tell us about that. Yes, our website is lizzynose.com, yeah, an online uh, platform for the most unique experiences. It's a very user-friendly visual website, that's what we wanted. Less text, more vision, Just it's, it's an experience to be on the website. Yeah, we want to show you how awesome and how brilliant Amsterdam is, uh, and it's not all about the red light districts and the kennels and it's of course the kennels are beautiful but there are other ways to see the kennels than through through the to the tourist room. so we have we have a quote that says tourists follow the crowd travelers go to lizzynose.com well that's tremendous and we certainly have a lot of travelers uh, listening to this program so i'm sure they'll be checking it out soon and uh, jane marie from lizzynose.com in amsterdam thank you very much for being part of the program this week thank you so much my pleasure was all mine thank you <laughs> This is Travel Radio Australia. Well, our uh, correspondent from uh, Queensland, Maury O'Connor, is on the line and he's just been on a fantastic journey where uh, he got the chance to feel the real outback. In fact, look, Maury, you went on a train called the Spirit of the Outback. That sounds like a great uh, way to go. Yeah, Graham, that's right. It's, uh, I guess it's, uh, it's not like the Euron Express, but there's no murder on it. So, um, <laughs> but I think it's one of the iconic train trips. I mean, people talk about the GAN, but this is a really interesting train trip. And uh, it's 
over 1,325 kilometres and it's a 25-hour train trip um, up the coast of Queensland and out following the Tropic, Tropic of Capricorn to Longreach and some really historic and uh, interesting country out there. So I guess uh, on a train trip of that length there'd be a few stops along the way, hopefully, and uh, some highlights for you. What what would you uh, well, maybe take it through, take us through it in, in some order and then maybe you can tell us what you thought was the best. Okay, look, um, the train uh, departs Brisbane in the late afternoon, around 6 o'clock, and um, travels up the coast through Bundaberg, Gladstone, etc., goes to Rockhampton, um, and um, the, really the first stop, or the first real stop is Rockhampton, where you know a lot of people get on and off, etc., and you're reaching there in the middle of the night. So I guess one of the great things about the Spirit is that uh, you can go first class with a sleeper, you can go economy with a sleeper, or you can sit up in the train. So um, if you want to do the sit-up, there's, uh, there's you know showers and, and uh, all the amenities, etc. on the train, food, uh, dining car and everything else. Yeah. And uh, from Bundaberg, uh, sorry, from... Um, Rockhampton, it's uh, swinging out into the outback through Bluff, Blackwater, Emerald, Anarchy, um, and um, some of those fabulous places, Alpha, Jericho, out to Bar Calden, uh, and there's a, a couple of small stops in those places, a bigger stop in uh, in places like Alpha and Bar Calden, and then Ilfracombe, and ends up in, in Longreach. And uh, some of those stops are to take on water and fuel, etc. So they might only be 20 minutes or half an hour. Uh, the main stops are when you get to Barcaldon and uh, and Longreach, really. Right. Well, they are great names on a map to me. I haven't been to all of those places. Um, had you been there before, Murray, or was this a, a new experience for you as well? This was a totally new experience for me, and um, I've read a lot about that country up there and uh, some of the history and. Uh, and, and other things, but I'd never been there before, so it was pretty fascinating, and uh, I was really intrigued to see what the country was like, and I guess one of the things about the train trip is you can see the changing country as you go along, and even a lot of wildlife. I mean, somewhere around Alpha, we had a, a flock of emus running along by the side of the train. Oh, that'd be great. Well, I've got to tell you, we beat them. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, um well, that, that actually sounds, uh, that sounds intriguing. You'd be able to uh, check out all the animals, the birds and all, I suppose, the kangaroos and what, dingoes. What else did you see? Uh, well, camels. We saw camels yep. going along on the train. So uh, They're almost feral up there, aren't they, in some yeah. places? Yeah, pretty much. But uh, I mean, there's a couple of places where they're actually breeding camels, some of the, uh, some of the stations, you know, yeah. and the ones we saw were, were on a station, but, you know, they were... They were running free, if you like, on the stations. Uh, yeah, but plenty of other wildlife along that along that route. Now, was there, was there any wildlife on the train? What were the fellow passengers like? Well, from characters, I can tell you. And interesting because uh, I think on the train you, you, you've got the opportunity to meet a lot of people. And there's, uh, you do. There's a number of people who come from overseas and do it, and most of them are rail buffs. A lot of people that do that trip are, are real rail buffs, so they can tell you a lot about, you know, other trips they've had, and, and they already know a lot about the spirit of the outback. Um, so some interesting people, and even some of the local people are real characters. Yeah, I've found that on... on uh, I've done a lot of outback uh, travel, but 
Oh, I met some characters on the GAN, or the GAN, is it? Uh, the old one it was. You had to be drunk to walk down the corridor because it sort of zigzagged. Uh, yeah, I met some real characters on, on board. That was a couple-of-day trip. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I'd love to do what you've done. Did you, how, did, how did you sort of come to do it? Did you hear about it and go chasing it, or did they ask you to come? Well, this was an invite from, um, from uh, uh, Queensland Rail. Okay. So, um, but, um, you know, to write about it. And, yeah, uh, well, that's how they get the word out, isn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, look, there'll be a lot more about this trip uh, appearing on our website on Food One Travel. So. Yeah. So, what of, of all the places that you stopped or maybe, uh, you know, got out to stretch your legs, what, what sort of impressed you the most, Murray? Well, interesting. Uh, there's, there's some wonderful history. And one of the good things about this train is that they give you a tablet. And the tablet is like your guide. So as you're moving along on the train, you can listen to the tablet or just read it if you like. And it will tell you the history of each place as you go along. That's a good um, idea. Oh, it's a fabulous idea, I think. So, um, you know, so you've got, you've got your own little guide there as you, as you travel along on the train. But interesting, I mean, we stopped at Alpha, um, and Alpha is a, a small town with all these murals around the town. So, um, it's quite fascinating to wander around and a couple of fabulous museums there and some interesting characters in the museum, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I bet. And so your ultimate destination was uh, was Longreach or did you then go uh, up the... Uh, uh, you, you said you went up following the Tropic of Capricorn. Does yeah, that take you to Longreach? Um, so we stopped in Bar Calden but then came back later to, to Bar Calden because... Uh, uh, Calden is probably, you know, um, one of the most famous places along that route. It's about, I mean, the railway line, a lot of these towns were established because um, it was when the railway was built 150 oh. years ago, so the towns became uh, part of the, the travel along the railway line and part of the expansion, I guess, west for, for, for Europeans. Right, so it's a little bit like uh, the the American uh, the American West was really you know, driven by the the rail, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. There's some really good comparisons with that. So you know, it was way back in um, in the 1870s when this railway was was being built. So there's some really strong comparisons with the uh, with the transcontinental railway in in the US. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm only sorry that there weren't more uh, parties setting out from from the east coast across the country and we might have more of a grid of rail when we really don't have much more than perhaps this one and maybe the Indian Pacific going across there. I'm, I'm not aware of others. Are, are there others? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I guess, you know, it's even where, where the railway goes, Longreach. I mean, the, the name comes of, from where it is, you know. Yeah. It's a long way away. Yeah. Um, and that was basically the end of the railway line. I mean, Winton's not far away, but um, you have to travel by car or bus or something, you know, to get to Winton. Yeah. You know, now, um, I, I guess some people going out that way would be intrigued by the Qantas story, perhaps some of the internationals. Um, how did you find that uh, being told over in, in uh, well, I guess it's in Winton and also in Longreach, isn't it? Well, Longreach, you've got the Qantas Founders Museum, and uh, because this is really Qantas country, you know, so yeah. Qantas started, you know, and um, the museum is uh, is a lot. I, I didn't imagine it was so big and so extensive, um, and it really deals with a lot of the history of the founding of Qantas, how it started, um, 
and um, the overland track that uh, was made way back in the 1920s um, to facilitate the um, uh, the competition to fly from England to Australia non-stop. Um, but really, the the museum contains some some very interesting old the whole aircraft. I mean, it's a 747. You can go on and tour oh, really? around. They have some fantastic guides, very knowledgeable people. And an old 707, which is the Spirit of Canberra, which has a great history. It was um, once owned by... Um, so John Travolta one, is it? That's it. Sorry. Thanks. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, John, John Travolta. I was trying to think of the name. It was... Yeah. Um, so the, so the old 707 Spirit of Canberra was once owned by John Travolta. Well, we had a share in it anyway. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, it has a great history. Well, that's great. I mean, I think those little snippets are what sort of bring some of these stories to life, aren't they? Well, I, I think... I think the thing about this region is that there's a lot to offer and a lot more than you would think because of this history and a lot of um, other iconic things. I mean, Winton is dinosaur country, so you uh, have the Australian Age of Dinosaur Museum up there where people, a lot of people go and, and volunteer to dig for on the digs and clean up the fossils. So they have a big army of people who, who go up there regularly, stay for a couple of months, uh, and volunteer. Well, it absolutely sounds great. And uh, was the food okay on the train? Look, I was surprised how really good the food was. It, right. was, it was excellent, actually. And um, there's uh, there's a dining car and there's a little lounge car, so you can sit in there. You can get a you can get a coffee or a beer or whatever you like and uh, watch the uh, the countryside go by. Yeah. And um, chat to other people, um, play games if you like. Um, but uh, I think you've got a lot to see just looking out, and if you yeah. if you're on your tablet, your little um, guide tablet, I mean, you've got everything you need. I think, and I love train travel. I think I love uh, sleeping on trains because I love that gentle rocking. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's fantastic. Well, Murray, it's been lovely talking to you again, and you've always got these terrific little facts that you managed to gather along the way and uh, to to give us some insight into the into the trip. Um, is this an expensive trip? Uh, well, it depends how you go. So um, I guess, you know, the best thing, if you go first class or economy, and um, probably the best thing that people can do is look at the Queensland Rail uh, website yep. or there's another website which is outbackqueensland.com.au. Yep. Um, so- and that will give you most of the information about... Um, the region and about the railway, but certainly Queensland Rail. So um, probably, you know, it's a, it's a 25-hour trip, and if you get the first-class sleeper, you're paying a lot more. Yeah. If you're going economy, you're only paying a couple of hundred bucks. Okay. Well, that's um, not bad. So it's not, it's, not, it's not too bad at all, really. You know? And as I say, this is, um, this is really country that has a lot to offer. It's a lot of difference. And um, I didn't mention Bar Calden there, but of course Bar Calden is um, is where the Tree of Knowledge is, and uh, oh, right. people don't know what the Tree of Knowledge is. This was the 1891 Shearer strike, where the Shearers met at this under this tree just outside the railway station, became the meeting place, the place where where um, they found out what was going on, got the news, etc. And it's iconic. So um, mm. this is an amazing place. For any true believers, you've got to go to Bark Alden. Sounds fantastic. Now, if people want to read your story on this, Murray, what's your web address? 
Okay, our web address is uh, foodwinetravel, all one word, dot com dot au. Fantastic. Mori O'Connor, thanks again as usual. A great report from uh, Outback Queensland. Thanks very much, Grant. And that's all we have for you this month on Travel Radio Australia. Thank you to Jeff Harrison, Veronica Matheson, uh, Jeff Jance, David Gordon, Peter Noon and uh, Graham Kemlow, all the contributors on the program this month. We'll be back with a brand new edition of Travel Radio Australia next month. So until then, I'm Renz Weirs wishing you all happy trails. You've been listening to Travel Radio Australia. The show was produced and hosted by Renz Veers. It can be played or downloaded from TravelRadioAustralia.com, TravelCastNetwork.com, the iTunes Store, or listen to the show on TuneIn Radio.